Hey guys, uh, my name is Steve. I'm an alcoholic. Um, hey Steve. Hey Steve. Hello. It's good to see everyone. Al, thank you for for asking me to be of service. It's always an, an honor and a privilege to be able to speak at a meeting for sure. Um, I, I've I've spoken a number of times at, at Bold, and it's been a little while since I've I've actually told my story um, at, at Bold, and so I'm. Uh, it's always different for me. Um, I mean, the, the facts and the details uh, are the same, but different things typically come up depending on what point I'm at in my sobriety whenever I speak. Um, so you know, I, I prayed a little bit before, uh, as I always do, and um, my goal tonight is to tell the truth, be honest, and hopefully uh, relay some experience, strength, and hope Um so my, my sobriety date is August 9th, 2012. Um, I, I have a home group. I have a sponsor. My sponsor has a sponsor. Um, that all, I think, is incredibly important. Um, let, let me actually say this also. I will do my very best to keep it to my experience, not my opinion. Um, I, think, I think that's an incredible thing to keep focus on in AA. Um, my, my experience is valuable. My, my opinion is uh, questionable at best. So uh, I, I will definitely do my best to keep it to my experience in the program and with drinking and drugging, um, which I am fairly experienced at. Um, <laughs> so um, I, uh, I guess to start from the, the very beginning, I mean, I, I, I grew up in northern New Jersey. Um, I have one sister. Um, my parents were great parents, still are great parents. Um, I did not grow up in a household that had um, any sort of abuse, really. My, my, my parents were fairly supportive of us. Um, I grew up in a fairly safe home, I think. Um, you know, I, I started to... How do I put this? Um, my childhood was fairly normal, but who knows what normal actually is, right? Um, I mean, I, I played sports. I had friends. I was active. Um, I, I did typical kid shit, to tell you the truth. Um, the first time that I ever felt different, though, was when I was about, I would say, eight or nine years old. Um, for whatever reason, I, I experienced nervous tics, and it, it was it was just it was something that I didn't understand why it was happening. But I would like I had these weird tics and flinch movements that would happen when I was nervous. My parents didn't know what the fuck was happening, so they took me to a child psychiatrist, and that was the first time in my life that I remember thinking to myself, "Why am I different?" Um, I, I'm anxious, I'm nervous, I don't know why, I don't feel comfortable in my own skin. Um, none of my other friends had to deal with anything like this, um, and I hated it. I, I mean, I absolutely hated it. I hated the feeling of being different. Um, and that's exactly how I felt at that point in my life. Um, that gradually went away, and I found... Um, in my early life, I found a lot of comfort and solace in sports. Um, I played, uh, I, 
I played a lot of sports. The one I gravitated to the most was basketball, and I played that fairly competitively all the way through high school. Um, and that was something that I always was able to sink into whenever I was feeling uncomfortable growing up. I would just go and, and shoot hoops and play with my friends and, you know, do all that kind of stuff. Um, the first time I actually had alcohol, and I, so the, technically the first time I had alcohol, I was like five, and I was walking around the tables of grandparents' 45th wedding anniversary swiping people's champagne and drinking it off the tables. And I re- there was an instance where my mom caught me doing it. She grabbed my champagne, and I started chasing her through the house, crying about how my mom stole my champagne. And this is all on videotape. And I, I brought it up to my mom when I was sober, and I was like, man, you should have known then that I was going to be all fucked up. And she was like, don't ever say that to me again. I still think about that and feel terrible about it. I mean, I'm not going to say that that was the first sign I was an alcoholic, because who knows? I was a little kid just swiping drinks off the table. But that technically was the first time I I had alcohol in my body. I apparently liked it. Um, You know, when I was, I don't know, like 12, 13, 14, you know, we would swipe beers from our, our parents refrigerators and have a sip or two here or there um i didn't get drunk any of those times it was more just like an acting out sort of thing um the first time i i did get drunk um i remember vividly i remember like it was yesterday i remember how it felt um i was i was Our basketball team had won the state, a a big game in the states, and all the seniors who were 18 years old threw this huge party after one of our wins, and they brought me, the freshman, along, and I got there, and, you know, I didn't, I I had never really been to a, a party before like that, and... They had kegs and all this kind of stuff. After about my, after about the first one and a half solo cups of beer, I can remember this overwhelming sense of calm. Um, I it's like I didn't even realize how tightly wound I was until I started to feel a buzz from alcohol. And it was like, it was like a spiritual experience. Like, I was just like, like this is the greatest thing ever. I, I felt unencumbered by fear. Um, I, I wasn't anxious. I could talk to girls. I was funny. I mean, I, for all I knew, this stuff made me fucking better looking, whatever. Like, I just thought it was the greatest stuff in the world. I had confidence. And... I I just remember everything about that night. I remember the drinking games we played. I remember who I was drinking with, where. I remember the layout of the house we were in. I mean, I remember everything about this night. Um, for me, at that point in my life, it was like the greatest night of my life. I was like, I have finally, um, I, I guess I have found what is going to allow me to exist in the world. 
Um, you know, I was, there were periods of time in high school around that time when I had experienced some anxiety and fear. Um, uh, just, just, yeah, I mean, I, I was anxious and nervous. And like I had mentioned previously, the thing that helped me get out of that was athletics previously. And then I discovered alcohol and it was like total game changer. Um, you know, fast, fast forward a little bit. And, you know, from that night on, my sole goal every single weekend was not to really hang out with friends or whatever. It was to find who had the booze, where was the booze, how we're going to get it, and where we're going to get hammered. I mean, that was pretty much it. Um, by the time I was 17, um, we all had fake IDs and stuff like that, and we, would, we started... We started going out to local bars and stuff. We would run into fucking teachers at bars. And I mean, it was just bananas. And by the time I was 17, I was, I mean, I was a daily drinker. I would, I would get home from basketball practice. I would go into my basement. Um, I would have gone to the liquor store on the way home from basketball practice. And I would drink a six pack of beer, do my homework, drunk, wake up the next morning, go to school, and just do it all over again. Um, so this was a nightly occurrence. Every night during the week, um, I was either um, swiping booze from my parents' cabinet or just going out and buying booze myself and, and getting drunk. Um, I don't know how I continued to do that, play athletics and do okay in school, but I did. Um, I got into and went to college and College was extremely confusing um, because, maybe not confusing, maybe that's the wrong word. Um, I found all the people that drank and did drugs like me. Let's put it that way. And when you're around people that drink and do drugs the way I drink and do drugs, it makes it seem like it's not that abnormal. And maybe that's why I said it was confusing. Um, because... You know, for the first time, and I let me back up, like, I knew that there wasn't something right when I was 17 years old, 18 years old in high school, drinking every night by myself. Like, I knew something was off, um, but it was the only time of night that I actually could calm down and feel some sense of peace um, because I was wound up, if, if all the other times. Um, and... I, I took like the, this is back in the day of like dial up internet and shit when you'd have to like have one phone line with AOL and you do the whole dial up thing and you're on the internet. And I was taking one of those quizzes, like the 20 questions and it was coming out like, I mean, I was passing with flying colors. I mean, it was like, you have a drinking problem. And I was like, like well, I'll take care of this later. And that anthem of I'll take care of this later lasted for about 15 years before I eventually got sober. I'll take care of this later. I'll, I'll worry about it when things get really bad, until they eventually did get really bad. Um, so college, I, I mean, I partied a lot. Um, did the whole fraternity thing, and that's when I started doing a lot of cocaine and, and opiates, and I mean, it was just like game on. Um, my friends in, in college used to call me Smokey because you never caught me without a blunt. I mean, it was just, it was bananas. I was writing papers drunk and high and, just, it, I was a fucking maniac. And 
I somehow graduated and, and got a job. And the, the the crazy thing was about that was with that was all these people that I drank with and drugged with in college. About a year or two after college, they didn't drink and drug like that anymore. I mean, we go out to happy hour in the bars and stuff, but I did not stop drinking and drugging after I got out of college. I mean, like, they stopped and slowed down, and I didn't. I mean, I ramped up. And it slowly became um, at least a fifth of whiskey a day at night, and a lot of times it was cocaine or speed. Um, Later on, it became opiates to get me through the day. And um, I did that that for years. Um, I started doing that shit that we do, like stealing from your friends, which is a a great one for us. We we all do that. It's fantastic. Just steal from them and then help them look for what you stole. Um, Like, I, I, I just, like, the behavior that I exhibited was absolutely insane. I lied about everything. Um, one of the greatest fears in my life at that time in my twenties was, and this was a a recurring nightmare of mine actually, where people from work, my family, the people, my friends from college who thought I was trying to get sober and people that I drank and drugged with all met at the same place. And each of them started talking about, oh, you know, Steve, he does this, that. And, like, everyone realized, like, we don't know who this person is. He's a maniac. Like, he's lied to every single one of us. That was, like, a nightmare of mine. Um, Because I had a different story for everyone. Um, And keeping track of that was freaking exhausting. I mean, absolutely exhausting. Um, You know, I was... got to the point where I was having drugs delivered to my office... Um, at work, um, I found this, this is ridiculous. I found this connection that would actually FedEx drugs to my office and I would pick it up in the mail room and I was down seeing the mail room guy like two times a week. They knew my name. I mean, it was, it was, it was bananas. Like I thought it was normal, but like it was, it was, these guys had to have known something's up. Um, but around, around the time I was 25, 26, Um, friendships were deteriorating. My family did not know what to do with me. Um, They were were asking me questions like, what happened to my son? Things like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I would just get angry about it Mm -hmm. and defensive and um, tell them off and tell them to mind their own business and all this kind of stuff. Mind your own business. I have a job. I have an apartment. Leave me the fuck alone. Let me do what I want to do. It was just a mess. Um, I was, I was missing holidays. I was just my, one of my favorite things to do. I like to drink alone. So I like, I, I don't like going out to bars and, and, and clubs. Like I like to get, a couple handles of whiskey and get loaded by myself. And, you know, there were, mul- there were multiple times that my family would have to call my friends to go to my apartment because they couldn't get a hold of me and they thought I was dead. 
Um, and this was just shit that just happened. Um, and, and I'd have to talk my way out of it, then I'd be good, and then we, we, we'd move on. Um, when I was 26, I started to say, like, yeah, maybe I do have a problem. I actually said out loud for the first time that I think I'm an alcoholic. Um, and as soon as those words came out of my mouth to my family, I immediately regretted it. I do remember that because I was like, shit, now you've said it. Now it's out there and they're going to expect you to do something about it. Why did you just do that? I, I'll never forget that feeling of, oh shit, why did you do that? Um, and that started a period of about three years uh, of me making incredibly half-hearted attempts at getting sober. Um, I would go to meetings high. I, um, I'd go to meetings drunk. Um, the first meeting I ever went to was Perry Street in, in New York City. And I remember I drank all day, and then I thought to myself, you know, I'll bet you, I didn't know what AA was. All I knew was like people went there to get, try and like stop drinking or whatever. So I, in, in my head, I had this idea of like very well-to-do folks with suits and ties on, sitting around, uh, talking about how wonderful their lives are and like all this kind of shit. Um, so I dressed up, I, I got, I put on a full suit. And I was like, I'm going to blow these fucking people's socks off. And I went over to Perry Street. And if any of you guys know anything, if you're from New York or have been up there to Perry Street, it's a pretty well-known meeting. I totally recommend going. Um, I walked in, and everyone kind of turned and looked at me. And I immediately was like, this was the wrong decision. Um, because I, no one else was dressed like that. I looked like a fucking idiot. And I sat down, um, I said it was my first meeting, and like we do, I compared myself to every single person in that meeting and told myself why I didn't belong there and how much better I was than everyone else in that And years after that happening, I realized how wrong I was about that. Um, the... The guy that was, I remember the guy that told his, that gave his qualification that night. Um, he was a gay man, a meth addict from the, from, uh, the West Village, from Chelsea. Um, and he told this story, and the whole time he told his story, I was saying to myself, well, you're not gay. You're not a meth addict. You're not like this guy. There's nothing about this guy's story that is like mine. Like, all this, all this crap. And, and after the guy told his story, his name was Alan. After this guy told his story, um, they opened the meeting up, and this guy named Sal raises his hand. And he starts sharing about how he identifies with this guy that just qualified and told his story. And this guy, Sal, starts talking about how he drank and how he drank a bottle 
a night by himself in his apartment, afraid to leave his apartment, uh, cut himself off from his friends, didn't talk to his family anymore. Um, he, you know, was ashamed of what he was doing, didn't know how to stop, came to Alcoholics Anonymous, was in recovery for a while. And I'm listening to this guy talk about how he drank. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, I have found the one person in New York that drinks like me. Like, I, I, I actually thought I found the only person in the world that drank like I did. I was astonished because I had no idea that other people, uh, my sponsor talks about this now, and I had the same experience as my sponsor in that, like, I had no idea that people thought about alcohol and drank the way I did. I mean, I, I was in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, yet I, I didn't know that that's what Alcoholics Anonymous was all about. I didn't know people actually really thought about about booze, the way I thought about booze, and the, they drank the way I drank, and I, I mean, I was astonished. And this guy, this guy Sal and this guy Rob, came up to me after the meeting, and they took me out for Chinese food after the meeting. Now, this is three years before I actually got sober, but they they take me out, and I'm asking all the wrong questions. I'm asking, where are the meetings with the good-looking girls? Do you guys do this often? Like, what, what's what's this all about? Like, do, do, do people at work know you're sober? Like, like, wait, do you really not do anything? Like, you guys don't like you guys don't like take Percocet or anything? Like, you guys like really just don't do anything? And you know, they're talking to me and they're they're being real nice about all this stuff. And that was the first time I saw what service actually looks like. I didn't get sober for a while, but what, you know, I look back on my experience drinking and trying to get sober and those guys showed me what service looked like and I didn't even know that's what they were doing um, quite frankly I was in the village and there was a part of me that was like I hope these guys don't get the wrong idea I hope they're not trying to hit on me taking me out to dinner and shit like I'm not down with this and that was just how my stupid brain thought like I didn't know what was going on I didn't know anything about AA um, so Suffice it to say, I stayed drunk for another three years, and that was the worst experience. Um, those three years were pathetic. They were dark. They were not fun. Um, it was the type of drinking that you do when you're by yourself and you're peeking out of your blinds to see whether or not, like, there are signs of life outside and, like, you're too afraid to go outside, so you call the liquor store delivery man and the dope man to come to your door because you can't face the world. Um, I eventually got to the place where, um, and I'll speed it up a little bit, but I I started showing up at hospitals. Um, I ruined a wedding because I was hallucinating and um, my folks had to bring me to the ER. Um, all, all sorts of shit. Basically, what happened was, though, um, what eventually happened was I was going to a psychiatrist. I tried outpatient rehab. I did all that shit. And I started to take antabuse. Now, not a good idea to drink on antabuse um, at all. So 
I'm like on day five or something of ant abuse, and I'm like, I cannot take this anymore. This is ridiculous. I cannot do this anymore. I'm getting loaded tomorrow. And I can remember walking to the liquor store, and I can remember my mind saying, you do not have to do this. You should turn around. You know what's going to happen. And my body just kept walking. And I got to the liquor store, and my head's going, you haven't bought it yet. Don't do it. You can still go home. And I just kept walking. And but I mean, it was like I was on autopilot, and I knew what was going to happen. I knew, because it happened a hundred times before. I knew it was going to happen. But I, could, I couldn't not do it. Like, it was bizarre. Um, anyway, I drink. I end up in the hospital. Um, my family sits with me all night. They bring me back home. My, my dad is dropping me off, and he's like, I should come up with you. And apparently, I found this out later, he was scared that I would get violent if he did come, if he tried to force his way upstairs with me, so he didn't. Um, three days later, I ended up in another hospital in New York City, um, and they locked me up on the sixth floor of Roosevelt Hospital, um, a place that used to be called the Smithers Clinic. Um, it's 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 basically a a drug and alcohol rehab detox type facility. Um, I'm the only person in there who has a job. Everyone is straight off the street from Tompkins Square Park or, you know, panhandling all over the place. And, like, I'm, I'm shuffling around there with scrubs, and I'm out of my mind. Um, I don't know what's going on. And I looked at the end of the hall, and I saw this kid, Chris, who was a 21-year-old junkie, and... He and I got to talking, and I remember looking at him, and for the first time in my life, I actually told the truth to myself, which was, Stephen, you're here for the same reason he is. And I, it, I don't know what happened. Something broke inside of me where I was just like, things are so bad right now, and I cannot... Um, I can't ignore this anymore. Like, you've tried everything under the sun to get sober before this. Nothing is working. You are going to end up... Like, I was well on my way to ending up um, dead. Um, I wanted to. I mean, there were a long period of time where I would just drink, take as many drugs as I could, and while I was passing out, think to myself, I hope I don't wake up tomorrow. Um, that was what I was hoping for. Um so I'm in, I'm in this place, and um, I finally just said help, and I, I really actually meant it. And I ended up going to a, a treatment center after this place. I, st I stayed in treatment for about, shit, four and a half months. And right after that, I literally left treatment, flew to Austin, and went right into sober living. Um, I was to the point where, um, it alludes to it in the book quite a bit, but I was to the point where I would have done absolutely anything you wanted me to do to stay sober. At this point in time, 
I was in the process of losing my job. I had no friends. My family didn't trust me. They didn't want anything to do with me. Um, I spent all my money. I was massively in debt. Um, it was my life was a fucking mess. I was like one step from just honestly being on the street. I mean, I, it was a mess. Um, and I just I didn't have any other fight. I didn't have any fight left in me. I was just like I, I don't care. What do you want me to do? Well, do it. They told me I needed to go to sober living. I was like, fine, fine, whatever. Let's do this. I can't. I talk about a lot. Like that was my point of emotional and mental pain that I could not take anymore. I mean, I was broken at that point in my life. I was broken. I had no one. I had nothing. Um, burned every bridge I had, and I. I, I guess I gave up, um, and to me, that's what surrender is. You know, I just gave up. Um, first meeting I went to out of treatment was at Bowling. I went to a Thursday noon meeting with a friend of ours, Ben, and he drove me over there. It was like the day after I got out of out of treatment, and we sat down. And I remember it was a noon meeting on Thursday, and we used to do popcorn meetings back then at noon on Thursday where you someone would share and then they, they'd choose someone else. They'd like point to someone else in the room to share next. And I just remember sitting there in my chair thinking, don't fucking call on me. Do not call on me. Please don't call on me. I don't want to talk. I don't know what to say here. Um, thank God I didn't get called on. But what I did keep doing is I kept on going back to Boulder. Um, I went back two or three times a day. Um, I sat in the backyard and shuffled around doing that awkward shuffle where you don't know anyone, but you're too scared to say hello to anyone. So you just wander around hoping that somebody says hi to you. And then you latch onto them like a virus because you just need to talk to someone. Uh, I did that for a while. Um, and I made phenomenal friends that way. Um, eventually I got to know people. So when, when folks tell me like, I, I say, like, go hang out in the backyard for a little while. They're, oh, I don't know anyone. I'm like, go hang out in the backyard for a little while. Like, no one knows anyone back there. Like, that's why we go back in the backyard, to meet people and talk. And we've all been there. Like, all of us know how that feels. Every single one of us. Um, but that's the best way to, to get to know people. Um, that was my first experience with, I think, being uncomfortable sober. And... Um, and really getting a taste for how uncomfortable I was around people. Um, and, and that's why I have a really deep love in my heart for Bolden is because it taught me how to be human again. Um, it, it taught me how to have relationships with people, something that I honestly did not know what to do with. Um, we talk sometimes about intimate relationships in AA. When I first heard intimate relationships, I am, I always associated intimate with sex. An intimate relationship is just a close personal connection and an emotional connection with another human being. Like that's what Bolden and AA has given to me in large part. Like I can actually have relationships with people. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that I learned um, in the steps. Um, I got a sponsor about a week after coming down to Austin. I got a sponsor because I liked what he had to say. Um, and that's, that's something there's, there's a, a, like an old 
cliche saying around AA and the more I'm around and the more I've been, the more time I've had sober, the more I actually do appreciate cliches. Like I hate them and I love them at the same time because they're annoying, but they're true. Um, and, and one thing that, that a guy told me was, and I think he told me this cause he knew me. Um, he said, Stephen, it's a good idea for you to listen for a sponsor. Don't look, look for one. And that made a lot of sense to me. And it makes a lot of sense to me now, especially because especially given the mindset I had when I came into AA, if I would have looked for a sponsor, I would have found the person that I thought had all the material shit that I wanted and asked that person to sponsor me. I wouldn't have listen to what they had to say about recovery. I would have just looked at what was on the outside and done it that way. Cause that's how I lived my whole fucking life. Superficial and shallow like that. Um, so I took this person's advice and I listened for a sponsor and that's how I got my first sponsor. I walked up to him after the meeting, all uncomfortable, like, oh, will you be my sponsor? And you know, are you willing to do what it takes? And I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, yes, I am. I mean, what are you going to say? No, no, I'm not willing to do what it takes. All right, on to the next guy. Like, so, I mean, also, if you're new and you're like, I don't want to ask anyone to be my sponsor, it's really uncomfortable. Yeah, it is. But guess what? We've all had to do it too. The person you're going to ask to be your sponsor has had to do the same thing. So, um, yeah. Um, it, it's funny, like, it's the same concept as when, when people ask me, like, some people at work know I'm sober, um, I'm close with some folks at work, and they've asked me before, like, aren't you worried, like, maybe you'll run into someone from work at an AA meeting, and my response is, like, not really, like, we're there for the same fucking reason, I don't think we're gonna rat each other out, like, no, not worried at all about it, um, anyway, that's a tangent we don't need to talk about um so yeah so I, I i got my first sponsor and and we went through the steps fairly quickly to tell you the truth um well relatively quickly um i stayed in sober living until i got a year sober um we we that that sponsor and i we met weekly um we went through the book and and we went through the 12 and 12 now My experience is that when I worked the steps the first time with that sponsor, we did the book and the 12 and 12. That is my experience, and that is how I take sponsees through the steps now, because that's how I was taken through the steps. I don't personally, um, I don't look as much at the 12 and 12 nowadays. I look more at the big book, but, and, and I'll say this, like, I don't know. I, I, the way AA was passed on to me was the way my sponsor passed it on to me. So given that that's how I got sober, if someone asked me to sponsor them, I am going to take them through the steps as I was taken through the steps because that is how I got sober. What I'm, I'm trying to say is um, I do the best I possibly can not to make up ways to go through the steps with people um, 
I, I try and use the KISS philosophy, which is keep it simple, stupid, which is do the steps as they were done with me. And, um, and, and I don't know, that's just my experience and what my experience continues to be. Um, the four step was not, people balk a lot at it and I don't know. There are very clear instructions that I was given for the four step and the instructions that I got were, Stephen, you are writing a bunch of stuff down. Um, Don't think too much about what happens next. Just write the stuff down. And we actually did go into the big book at this point, and we read the whole section about how it is a fact-finding mission. Um, Any business that needs to be successful takes inventory. If a can is dented, you still write down that the can is dented. doesn't matter how the can got dented. You just write the shit down. And that helped me a lot because I was just kind of like, all right, like fact-finding mission. All right. Here's all the people I resent. And I went over to my sponsor's place, and it was a really beautiful experience. We sat down, and we were doing my fifth step after I had written inventory. And his, um, his partner comes in, and his partner is, is carrying a bunch of shopping bags and stuff. And I was like, oh, hey, how's it going? And, you know, we're talking, whatever, and I come to find out that my sponsor is listening to my fifth step on his birthday. Um, That, to me, was a very powerful thing because in my life all the way up to that point, like, I'm selfish. Like, it's my birthday? I'm not doing shit with you. Like, no, I'm not. No, he took his birthday and he spent his entire birthday eight hours listening to my fifth step. Like, I mean... That, that was, for me, that was a mind-blowing experience because I didn't understand that people actually would do things like that for other people. Um, and he was showing me what AA was. He was showing me. Um, and he gave me a lot of time. And, and that time saved my life. Um, and I, I continued to work with him. I, I will say the first piece of freedom that I ever felt in Alcoholics Anonymous is when I did my first amends trip, um, making appointments with people, when I would fly back to New York to meet them and have breakfast with people I did not want to have breakfast with, um, and and make amends, and um, not all of them were pleasant. I made amends to one guy um, who I had stolen a bunch of money from, and I paid him that money back. And, and that man had tears in his eyes. Um, and he could not believe that I had done what I had done to him. And I had to sit there and take it, so to speak. Um, and the important thing that my sponsor reminded me of was, it doesn't matter what their reaction is. You need to do the right thing. And he also said... After I was done with all that, he said, are you drunk right now? And I said, I am not. And he said, you did a great job. And that was little stuff that I had to learn along the way. Um, So, you know, I I worked the steps. I did all that stuff. 
And there were, you know, over the years, there have been a lot of times when my mind has wandered. Okay. Like, I got to a point when I was a couple of years, three years sober, two, two or three years sober. I was at work. And um, at this point, I was working a cabinetry job because I got out of, I, I lost my professional career. Um, and I had to get a get sober job and I'm sitting there and I'm all angry and upset. And I'm like two, 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 three years sober calling my sponsor and everyone's doing it wrong and this and that, and you know, fuck this guy. And, and his response to me was, okay, I want you to call three alcoholics or text three alcoholics, um, that you haven't spoken to in a little while and ask them how they are. Don't talk about yourself. Ask them how they are. And then I want you to go over to intergroup and I want you to tell Gary that you want to get on the 12-step call list and that you're wondering if there are any shifts that you can pick up. And now I'm two or three years sober. And my first thought when he told me all of that was, this sounds a little drastic. Like, what? Like, this sounds drastic. Are we really? We got to do all this? Now, it didn't matter what I thought. I went and did it anyway. Um, but that's the stuff I need to watch out for with, with time and sobriety. Like, the same solutions that we have when I came in to get sober, they still apply today. Like, they absolutely still apply today. Um, in the time since getting sober, um, I've, I have friends. Uh, I have friends that feel like family that I love and love me. I have a relationship with my parents, with my sister. I can see my niece and nephew. They've never seen me drunk. Um, I, I have my career back. Um, you know, I, I have a life that I honestly did not think was possible. Um, given the way things were going. Um, the, and like I talk about this a decent amount actually with my sponsor today, like there, there's almost, yeah. The only reason I get to go and do the things that I get to do today is because I'm sober. So if I'm ever sitting here thinking about how ridiculous work is or how annoying it is that I have to wake up and go for a bike ride. If I like how, how irritating it is that I, go do X, Y, and Z. Like, I have to stop sometimes and say, you, you're lucky you get to do any of that. Like, I, I'm, I'm lucky to be able to do anything like that. I'm lucky to have a job, to have family, to have friends. Um, you know, it's, it's an incredible life. Um, you know, the reason I, I still keep coming to AA is one, I love... I love seeing new people come into AA. Um, it reminds me what it was like when I came into AA. Um, you know, we all come here. Well, I'll speak for myself. I came here a broken man. Um, I mean, absolutely shattered. Um, I did not know how to have relationships with people. Um, I could not stop drinking. And... Um, I, I pretty much thought my life was over. Um, and like little by little, as I 
did what was suggested of me as I worked the steps, as I um, was of service as best as I possibly could be, I started to, I won't say get my life back. I'll say I started to get a life because I'm not quite sure I had a real full life before I got here. Mm. So um, for me, AA is a matter of getting a life rather than getting a life back. Like I get, I get another chance. Um, that's not to say that I'm immune to any of this. Um, I'll, I'll tell one other quick story. When I was, I think about four years sober, I was um, the the individual actually on this call right now that that said this to me. I, I went to Barton Springs Pool with with two folks actually that are on this call. Interestingly enough. Um, and we're sitting there on the bench and I'm, I'm talking about how nice it would be to, cause I'm just starting to meet new people outside of the program at like three, three, four years sober, right? Like I, I stayed really close to AA for a long time. And I, I was thinking like, it would be so nice to just be able to go out and have a beer with, with someone like just cause that's what everyone else does, goes out and has a beer and socializes and. God, it would be nice to be able to do that. And the person I was talking to was like, man, that does sound nice. That's, that sounds really nice. And then he turned to me and he goes, you ever done that before? And the answer is no. I don't go out and have one beer with someone to relax and get to know them. I get a case of Jack Daniels and see what, see what happens. Like, I, I don't have one beer. That, that's not my truth. And that's another reason why I have to keep coming back to AA because people remind me of what my truth is. My, my truth is, is I drink uncontrollably given the chance. Um, and um, it's, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to, to speak tonight. I know, I know that I'm, I'm out of time. Hopefully if you're new, you, you got something out of that. If you're not new, hopefully you did as well. Um, I will also say if you didn't get anything out of that, go to another meeting. We got plenty of meetings. Um, none of us has a monopoly on AA or sobriety. Mm -hmm. So thanks for listening. I hope everyone has a good evening.